0: Hello and welcome to the Can Do MS podcast. My name is Rachel Lottie and I'm the programs coordinator for Can Do Multiple Sclerosis. We're excited for today's podcast, which is the second episode in our three-part relapse and MS series, where you'll learn how to manage potential relapse-related challenges at home, work, and in your relationships. In this podcast, you'll hear from an employment expert and a psychologist, as they share strategies on how to handle a variety of work situations impacted by a relapse. The team will use real-world scenarios to provide recommendations to help you navigate the impact a relapse can have on your work life and emotional well-being. With us today, we have psychologist Dr. Roz Kalb, and employment specialist, Dr. Phil Rumrill to share tips and resources on how to manage potential relapses related challenges at work. Welcome Roz and Phil. So Phil, to get us started, would you please tell our audience a bit about your career experience as it relates to MS and employment? Uh, happy
1: to, and, and, and good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone, whatever the case may be. Uh, it's a great pleasure for me to uh, be here, and Rachel be working with you on this, and to share this program with Dr. Kalb. Uh, I'll call you Roz, if that's all right. Sure. Um, I am uh, uh, delighted to do th- to do this and have the opportunity to, to, uh, to work with you again. So happy to be here. I've been working uh, with people with MS for about the past 25 years or so. Um, uh, currently, I, I'm a professor of rehabilitation counseling at Kent State University. We train counselors to provide uh, vocational and other uh, services to people with disabilities. Um, we've had a number of research and service uh, projects uh, funded by the National MS Society and other uh, organizations over the years, and MS has been uh, uh, an area of keen interest uh, to me for um, uh, you know m- most of my career. So we've done a lot of research in the area of employment, people with MS, done a lot of uh, uh, clinical and uh, direct service work with folks with MS regarding um, uh, employment and life after multiple sclerosis. And having uh, Roz's perspective as a psychologist uh, is really a perfect complement to what we'd be uh, talking about today because the psychosocial adjustment to the disease is a a major part of the ongoing uh, employment uh, decision and deliberation that people make. So how it affects people's psychological and social uh, uh, functioning and the people around them is very, very important. So I'm glad we're able to uh, uh, look at it from both of these uh, perspectives here in one call. So I'm glad to be here and looking forward to our discussion.
0: All right, great. Thank you, Phil, and thanks for sharing. And that's a great segue into Ross. So Ross, tell the audience a little bit about yourself.
2: Well, thanks, Rachel. Um, I have Phil beaten by a little bit. I've been a psychologist in the field of MS for over 30 years, but I'm thrilled to be doing this with him because um, he is one of the best known experts uh, in the field of MS employment. And we um, have had the opportunity to work together in the past. And I agree with everything he said about how how the issues of of mood and cognition and decisions about employment go hand in hand. So I'm looking forward to this as well.
0: Excellent. All right. Well, we're really thankful to have you both with us today. So now for this podcast, we're going to present three real-life scenarios of a person or a couple going through an MS relapse. We'll then hear recommendations from Roz and Phil with ways to handle a variety of work situations that could be impacted by an MS relapse. So let's get started. Our first uh, scenario is Jeanette. So Jeanette is a 26 year old single woman who is employed by a busy marketing firm. She was diagnosed with MS three years ago and has been relapse free since starting a disease modifying therapy but yesterday she woke up feeling exhausted and weak with high anxiety. She had difficulty walking and her thinking felt sluggish and even foggy after a cup of coffee. So she called in sick to work and then called her neurologist who suspects she's having an MS relapse. So now Jeanette has to decide what to tell her employer. So Phil, does this relapse mean Jeanette should disclose her diagnosis to her employer?
1: well um not necessarily, and perhaps particularly at this time at this early stage uh in the disease process, number one uh given the fact that Jeanette has been um uh asymptomatic relapse free uh it sounds like uh, since you know since her diagnosis um there may not be a need in fact, if I were working with her directly, I probably would encourage her not to disclose her diagnosis of m s at this particular time. I think I'd encourage her to take sick time. And normally when you take sick time, you don't have to disclose the nature of uh, the condition. In fact, under the Americans with Disabilities Act, you uh, very rarely are required to disclose your actual underlying diagnosis of multiple sclerosis. Um, Usually what we tell people is until or unless uh, the person has a need for an accommodation at work Um, related to the effects of MS, there's no need to mention the diagnosis. Sometimes you have to share with your employer certain effects of the condition, uh, particularly if it it affects your job performance. But um, we tend to encourage people early on to speak about the condition um, in in general terms. So I'm feeling tired today or I'm feeling sick and therefore I'm going to take the day off the reason why um, we encourage people to um, start by not disclosing all of their uh, details about the diagnosis is number one there's no legal obligation to do that number two it is your right to privacy Jeanette's right to privacy in this case and if she volunteers more information than she's comfortable in doing she can never get her privacy back once it's out it's kind of out That doesn't mean that the employer would necessarily find uh, the fact that she's diagnosed with MS stigmatizing, but Jeanette may not be able to really articulate what it means to have MS because for the past three years she hasn't been experiencing symptoms. She doesn't know how long this particular relapse is going to uh, last. She doesn't know what her disease process is going to be owing to the unpredictable nature of the illness itself. So there's a lot of uncertainty there and uh, so I would tend to suggest that she would focus on those specific effects of the job. Pay very close attention to changes in her health status. The symptoms that you uh, that that, uh, that Jeanette is uh, dealing with are sort of uh, uh, classic MS symptoms. You're seeing the fatigue, which is certainly the most common uh, uh, symptom of all. Uh, you're seeing she's you seeing perhaps the beginning of cognitive impairments and a large proportion of people with ms experience that and those can be very difficult to uh accommodate the uh anxiety which could be due to organic uh uh you know changes in the brain as a result of ms or could be uh, the result of adjustment to a condition that uh, for many people is a really lousy thing to uh Um, you know to deal with then the mobility and physical stamina those kinds of things So she's getting the wide range of symptoms, but this symptom these symptoms might only last a day They might last two days, etc So erring on the side of speaking to your employer functionally about what you might need I'm feeling tired and today i'd like to work at home if I could for a couple of hours Don't have to don't have to give away your ms diagnosis. That's your privacy um as far as uh, cognition related uh accommodations um a number of ways she could she could contact her her neurologist uh a cognitive neuropsychologist uh, later on in the process perhaps to help to identify the specific areas of cognition that she's finding difficulty with all kinds of uses of technology um from ipad uh, tab- tablet computers and applications that can be used to Um, uh, Compensate for memory problems, executive functioning problems, etc. Visit the website to the Job Accommodation Network for ideas about how she might accommodate the symptoms that she's dealing with right now. And perhaps more importantly than any of this is the importance uh, for her, uh, for Jeanette, of, of monitoring changes in her health status, becoming her own best expert on uh, how MS is affecting her, and just as importantly, how MS is not affecting her. So looking at the ways where, you know, because you, you might have MS, you might have these symptoms, but you're also entitled to get a cold, or to get the flu, or to have um, uh, a headache, and it may or may not be related to MS. So you don't want to over-attribute things that are going on necessarily to your MS, but you want to pay attention to changes in your health status over time also want to pay close attention, and Jeanette wants to be her own best expert about her job performance. She wants to identify problems with job performance before the employer does, because there are many things that she might be able to do that may not even involve intervention from the employer before the employer brings it to her attention. So understanding how MS MS affects your health and functioning, how it affects the way you feel, how it affects the way you think, and process information, how it affects the people in your life, and how it affects your job performance if you're working. And we talk about if you're working because the vast majority of people with MS are working at the time of diagnosis. So early in the disease process, the issue is really center on uh, uh, job retention rather than job acquisition. And as a voc rehab person, Uh, I can tell you it's much easier to help someone keep a job than it is to start a whole new job search process. So we like to get involved early in the process, and what's working to Jeanette's advantage is uh, uh, her uh, symptoms have have just started. She's been relapse-free for a while. Um, Symptoms may be uh, very intrusive, but um, it doesn't appear they've begun to uh, progress at this point. And so she's still employed, productive. She's got age on her side because she's young and a lot of energy. And so these are the things that she has to work with uh, going forward. But it's very important to develop that kind of contingency plan for what happens during those next symptoms. But a short way to end a long answer would be to say, I would not suggest she, she disclose her
0: diagnosis of MS at this particular point. All right, great information there, Phil. So now from a different perspective, Roz, what concerns do you have about Jeanette's situation from an emotional wellness point of view?
2: So I, I really appreciate Phil's um, very comprehensive and, and, and thoughtful answer um, to Jeanette's situation, and I really just want to emphasize a, a few points that he's already touched on. Um, For those of you who joined our uh, relapse podcast on relationships, uh, we talked about uh, a relapse being a a crisis, and particularly for somebody like Jeanette who's been relapse-free for three years, this really must have come as a bolt out of the blue. Um, caught her off guard, and I'm sure is responsible in some way for that anxiety she's feeling. She woke up and did her usual MS morning body check: what's working, what's not working so well today, and found herself in a in a relapse. So I think this is this is a time, a crisis point, when once the physical symptoms have subsided a bit, she may very well want to speak with a a counselor who's knowledgeable about MS just to deal with her feelings about this unpredictability, uh, this unpredictable disease, and how she's going to start managing that, not just in her workplace, but in her life um, and in her relationships with other people. Um, Anxiety can be a very crippling uh, emotional feeling, and so we really want her to get help and support to deal with that. Also, as Phil mentioned, um, there is the possibility here that we're seeing the beginning of cognitive changes. Now, there can be cognitive relapses or relapses in which cognitive symptoms occur. And then they may subside as other symptoms may subside after a relapse, or there may be some continued uh, cognitive change following this relapse. We don't know yet. But this would be the time um, for uh, Jeanette to be screened uh, for cognition. This would help us get a, uh, establish a baseline for her. This is how her cognition is at this point. And then, And that is the recommendation from the National MS Society at this point that people have a baseline cognitive screening and then get screened yearly after that. And to Phil's point, Um, um, monitoring her cognitive change over time, uh, if it progresses, will help her plan proactively around her employment and plan on finding the, the treatment, the rehabilitation services, the accommodations that she might need to help her continue to be a very effective employee at her job. She may also have a lot of anxiety about the cognitive changes and her ability to continue her busy career. So again, the cognitive screening and the and the counseling uh, go hand in hand here. Um, I think we, we should mention that, uh, and I totally agree with Phil's advice that if you don't have visible symptoms and you don't uh, require an accommodation, there is certainly no need to disclose in the workplace. But we have met some individuals who uh, they worked in a small work setting. Um, They were very close to their employer and their colleagues, and they found not disclosing highly stressful. So this, again, is a very personal decision. It's important for Jeanette to know that she is not in any way required by law to disclose. But in talking to the counselor, particularly a vocational counselor like Phil or his colleagues, um, it's important for her to discuss her own personal feelings about um, keeping this information private in a in a small, close work setting.
0: Agreed, one hundred percent. Perfectly put. Yes, yeah. Some great tips here for dealing with an employment situation while also keeping your emotional wellness in check. So, thank you for your your responses, Phil and Roz. So uh, moving on to our second uh, scenario. So we have Barb and Kyle, a married couple with one young child. Kyle is a teacher, and he's already disclosed his MS diagnosis to his employer. Barb works as an administrative assistant in a law firm. So Kyle's symptoms have been relatively mild and manageable since his diagnosis. But he woke up three days ago with blurred vision, weakness on his right side, and impaired balance. His neurologist is treating the relapse, and Kyle and Barb are trying to figure out how to manage until he's back on his feet. So Kyle is dealing with mild cognitive changes and is now concerned about his ability to keep teaching over time. So Barb and Kyle are really dealing with a variety of issues here. So how would you start addressing these challenges presented because of this relapse, Phil?
1: Well, I think the uh, um, um, a couple of uh, Wrinkles here that are different than uh, uh, Jeanette's case. Uh, uh, one is that Kyle has already has already diagnosed his MS to uh, uh, his employer, so he does have that uh, uh, entree and um, may need to think about what. And so once you've once you've made the initial disclosure, then the issue becomes what do you tell them as time goes on? What things do they need to know, and what kinds of now that they know you have MS? they may attribute anything that you tell them in terms of difficulties or need for accommodation to your MS Um, and so it's important to uh, very judiciously think about what it is you want to share about what's going on with your health status and before you say anything to your employer I continue to emphasize any chance I get with with folks is figure as much of this stuff out for yourself as you possibly can you don't want to put the employer to work as a service provider, helping to solve the problem, employer they will help to solve it. Many employers are willing to do that, but the more information you can give them. So Kyle wants to talk to the employer not just about the cognitive difficulties difficulties that he might be having. He also wants to come prepared with solutions to those cognitive challenges that he's experiencing. Employers, in my experience, are much more are much more um, amenable. Um, to providing an accommodation if you give them not only the problem but the solution. So you say, look, I'm having difficulty with this particular function of the job, and here's what I think would solve the problem. That's a much more difficult thing to refuse or to get bogged down in than if you say, I'm having this difficulty and I'm not sure what to do about it. So Kyle's an educated uh, fellow. He's a teacher. He's in a cognitively intensive um occupation where a um a mild um and maybe that's a euphemism or as mild cognitive impairment because they can be very intrusive but the beginnings of a cognitive impairment um could be very disruptive um uh, to the job as a teacher he's uh, also having um uh, some visual symptoms and um Uh, On an on an intermittent basis and so there may be some technology that's required as far as that goes. I would start by encouraging Kyle to uh, uh, First of all get uh, as as Roz mentioned some screening on the cognitive stuff find out what's going on Find out what areas of cognition are being affected. He may not be able to articulate it He might say my my thinking feels kind of sluggish or it's fuzzy, but really what he's dealing with is uh, you know um, Intermediate term memory, you know, what I had for breakfast uh, this morning or yesterday. Um, or maybe he's having difficulty with executive functioning, the organizational um, uh, sector of uh, uh, of the brain. And a, a cognitive screening can, with a neuropsychologist, can help him to pinpoint those areas where he's having difficulty. Is he having difficulty processing uh, information that his students uh, present to him Uh, uh, verbally? So is it an auditory processing issue that he's having? Is he having difficulty um, grading papers because of a slight visual impairment and he's not tracking and able to see punctuation and and things like that? Uh, Is he having difficulty managing and organizing his time? Where are those issues? Um, And finding out not only can the neuropsychologist help to identify those uh, areas of, of cognitive impairment, but also can help to identify compensatory uh, solutions. So the beginnings of, uh, of uh, a technology-based solutions. He's a teacher. He probably has a laptop, probably has an iPhone. Now he can start looking for um, uh, applications that are commercially available, not just for people with disabilities, but they make them for executives, for elderly people um, that can help to enhance uh, cognition, to store information, verbal pro- uh, auditory electronic prompts, Instead of uh, you having to keep track of when your appointments are, the the uh, your tablet can let you know. Um, so there's a lot of these ways he can accommodate himself, and he may want to start doing that in his life, um, you know, in general. So I think uh, again, it gets back to that that self monitoring, uh, early screening, uh, preventative problem solving. You're heading off the issue before it really becomes problematic. Being very objective and honest with himself about the areas. Uh, of his work that are affected, figuring out solutions that he can identify, and at that point then bringing them to the principal, to his uh, uh, the department head, or, or, or whoever his supervisor might be, and again bring him the solution at the same time. I notice I'm having some difficulty with this. You know, I mentioned I have MS. I'm having trouble tracking things visually on my PowerPoint, so I'm just going to enlarge the text. And if he's doing that, he may not even need to mention that. You know, some of these technology aids are so unobtrusive that there's no need to mention these sorts of things and in my remarks so far i'm talking about kind of keeping all this information from the employer keep it to yourself etc sometimes that can be very stressful as as Roz mentioned sometimes you want to lay it out you want the support you need to let people know what's happening because they care uh about you um, and that's very important too, and it is a totally uh, personal decision. My own experience tells me that people with MS will tend to over-disclose rather than under-disclose, and so I'm usually um, uh, helping to keep people from telling too much and uh, want to encourage them to be very thoughtful about that and to figure out as many solutions um uh, on their own, you want to present the solution to the employer. You don't want to put the employer to work in a de- in developing that solution any more than is absolutely necessary. Um, so that's what I think about the employment situation in Kyle's case. Now, Kyle is, is uh, uh, married and has a young child, and uh, I know Roz will have some uh, uh, suggestions related to um, the impact of MS on uh, significant others and family. So I'll stop here as far as that goes and turn it over to you, Roz.
2: Uh, thanks very much, Phil. Uh, and again, um, I wanna call out some things to emphasize in all of this. Um, it is absolutely essential at this time um, for both Kyle and for Barb that they have a better understanding of what's going on with Kyle uh, cognitively, not everybody has access to a neuropsychologist. It depends a lot on where they live, um, urban or rural areas. And so, other good members of the healthcare team to keep in mind are speech language pathologists, who also evaluate uh, cognition and are excellent at helping people come up with uh, workaround solutions to accommodate whatever problems they're having, and occupational therapists as well are wonderful with the kinds of uh, technology adaptations that might be helpful to Kyle. And in working with these specialists, it will help both Kyle and Barb have a better understanding of how these um, problems might impact Kyle in the workplace, but also in their relationship and at home. Uh, So the strategies that will work in one part of one's life can frequently be very helpful in all parts of one's life. And Barb needs to have an understanding of this, because this is one of the invisible symptoms of MS that is most stressful for care partners and kids, um, because they can't see it, and it needs to be explained, and Kyle needs to be able to explain what's going on with him and what he needs. In terms of discussing possible accommodations with employers and with colleagues, I think the... The National MS Society booklet called The Win-Win Approach to Reasonable Accommodations really plays out in detail what Phil has been talking about in terms of going to an employer with a solution. You want the message to be that if I have an accommodation that works for me, I can be the best possible employee for you. Or in Kyle's case, I can be the most effective teacher. Um, And so I'm going to present you with these uh, solutions. And again, the job accommodation network, is an excellent source of recommendations for uh, particular accommodations or how to implement those accommodations. And the speech language pathologist or the neuropsychologist or occupational therapist can also help Kyle uh, come up with the suggestions. Now because of the career that Kyle is in, it is possible if the cognitive changes progress that he may have a lot of difficulty in the classroom. So it is not too early for Barb and Kyle to begin to think about what might they need to do in terms of changing their their career planning a little bit to accommodate that if Kyle ends up not being able to be in the classroom. So this would be an excellent time for him to talk to a voc rehab specialist just to think about ideas for possible retraining or other kinds of work where he could put his knowledge and skills together in ways that wouldn't be as impacted by cognitive changes or visual changes if those continue. So this is called planning for the worst while hoping for the best. You, you don't want to be caught off guard um, in the future. You want to have thought through how you would want to handle um, such an adaptation in your lifestyle if you needed to make it. And it's something that Barb and Kyle need to do together because changes in Kyle's employment status might affect uh, Barb's work as well. All of this, of course, can be very stressful and so Again, an optimal time for Barb and Kyle, perhaps to sit with a counselor just to talk about their feelings about this. If they're having trouble communicating with each other, they're too anxious, or they're worried about upsetting each other, um, a counselor can really help uh, make those conversations um, easier, more accessible, uh, so that they can be more comfortable uh, talking to one another. So I would really encourage follow-up around the cognitive symptoms, but also emotional support for both uh, Barb and Kyle individually and as a couple.
0: Yeah, wonderful information. Thank you, Ross. So before we move on to our final vignette, I just wanted to circle back about Kyle. Kyle might have to take off a work in the short term. So Phil, do you have any recommendations on how people might handle that situation as far as what to use, leave time, sick time. Could you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, it kind of depends on um, the length of time the person needs to take, you know, the, the length of the leave. And with MS, this is, you know, complicated because when you're having a relapse, you don't know whether it's two days or a week or a month, or, or whether your symptoms might persist over a period of time, and whether you need to leave to kind of regain your energy and rest, or whether it's on a, a, a larger, you know, scale. The first thing that most people do is they would take uh, a crude sick time as the first option, and that would be if you need probably uh, a, a week or less of time off you'd start by taking uh, accrued sick time. Teachers accumulate sick time uh, fairly uh, in, in, in public schools, accumulate a fair amount of sick time. So you have that leave. Uh, other employment uh, situations, you don't have sick time. You just have accrued time off regardless and for any reason. So it doesn't even have to be sick time. And sometimes for folks with MS, they find that even better. It's not stigmatizing. So you get you know, four weeks a year. It can be vacation. It can be sick. It can be personal. It can be whatever you want start by taking the leave that requires the least uh, documentation, of course, and is the least uh, intrusive kind of all the way around. Uh, Then it can progress out to short-term disability, and these are usually leaves of a couple of weeks up to about uh, 90 days. Um, And after 90 days, uh, there are long-term disability uh, provisions that most school districts would have in place if he was going to have to disengage from the workforce kind of on an ongoing basis. There's another uh, law that provides uh, called the Family and Medical Leave Act, which has been in existence now for about 20, 25 years, um, also known as the FMLA. And the FMLA allows uh, employees who work for employers with 50 or more employees. So you have to be a medium, uh, you know, a a company of that size to take up to 12 weeks of unpaid leave uh, uh, per year. And this would be after you've exhausted your sick leave, you can take up to 12 weeks of unpaid leave per calendar year while, while still maintaining your job. And the employer would be responsible for uh, uh, finding, in this case, a substitute teacher for that period of time. Um, but because that leave is unpaid, you would want to make sure that you've exhausted, most people want to use all of their paid leave prior to that, uh, prior to the use of FMLA. FMLA also allows you to take time off to attend to your own uh, serious health condition is what they call the uh, the, their term for disability or the serious health condition of a family member. So a spouse or partner or child or parent um, can take time off to provide care to uh, someone who had to, to a person who has MS who is a relative of theirs So it allows the caregiver to take some time off too and we find that uh, uh, many uh, Caregivers of folks with MS will take family members will take FMLA time as well So there's a lot of options as far as time off But for a day or two here or there you use your regular accrued sick time for more time off than that you go to either short-term disability which is typically paid or FMLA, which is typically unpaid.
0: All right. Yeah, great recommendations. And not only for the person with MS, but also the person in that supportive role. So thank you so much, Phil. All right. So moving on to our final scenario. So we have Maggie and Luis, who have been together for 10 years, and they're in their early 40s. Louise's MS has been difficult to control and she's experienced more than one significant relapse in the last couple of years. So both Maggie and Louise are employed as nurses at different community hospitals. Louise is currently experiencing a relapse that's affecting her thinking, mobility and causing worse than usual fatigue. So she needs assistance with daily activities and she and Maggie are trying to figure out what to do until things are back to normal. So Phil, what are your thoughts on Maggie and Louise's situation? Um, So uh,
1: it sounds like Louise's is, is condition uh, sounds like um, you know uh, uh, she's dealing with more uh, severe symptoms across a wider range She's having to kind of, she's needing care. It sounds like in the home, and so now this decision that Roz had mentioned earlier on about uh, future planning, about ret- w- when it's time to disengage from the labor force, how do we modify? It? Is it time to find a whole new career, et cetera? These issues really come more to the forefront, you know, in in, in this particular case because the symptoms appear to be um, uh, quite significant and perhaps perhaps progressive. Um, here, I would remind you also of uh, FMLA protections, if um, Maggie needs to take time off to care for Louise, she can do so under the FMLA, so that's a nice uh, benefit, at least while they're sorting out the need for in-home care, the need for accommodations in the workplace. I'm guessing that if uh, Louise's case is such that she needs um, assistance in the home, she's probably needing significant accommodations to continue um her work in uh in the in the hospital. So here the issue of accommodations becomes very important, the issue of communication with the employer becomes important. Here we also want to start talking about uh future planning. Are you able to continue doing this job? What are the benefits you have available as part of your employment? Do you have long-term disability benefits? What benefits could you Uh, Receive from Social Security, if the time comes to disengage from uh, the labor market as a vocational rehabilitation person, I like to encourage people to stay working as long as they feel that they're able to do so. But we do know that MS uh, on average lowers people's retirement age, people with MS stop working at earlier ages than people uh, who don't have MS. And so understanding that practical reality, even beginning the process of financial planning, so in one's early 40s, you're starting to think uh, or thinking uh, in more concretely about retirement and how much money you're going to have in retirement and projecting that. And if you have a condition, that might mean your retirement would, be co- would come at an earlier age than it would otherwise. Um, you have to start thinking about your overall financial plan within that uh, uh, context as well. So understanding the benefits that are available to you, uh, making sure that uh, Louise is getting the very best medical care she can. Are we alleviating as many of the symptoms as possible? So is is she um, making this plan in her very best health status with all the treatment, making sure that medications she's taking uh, are working? So kind of ramping up the self-management, the symptom management program, so that she's as healthy as possible. Uh, Back to that sort of um, um, uh, hoping for the best, but planning for the worst. So understanding uh, your health status, making sure you're staying as healthy as well, conserving your energy as much as possible, but thinking down the road and being practical and realistic about the eventuality where you might have to change jobs Um, uh, and or disengage from the labor force at some point and understanding that how you make decisions regarding disability benefits and financial planning can have long-term implications um, for your future um, uh, well-being and including your health and your ability to um, uh, maintain uh, health insurance coverage and acquire treatment that you need uh, those kinds of things Um, so here we've got um, issues uh, uh, couples issues that become more prominent as Louise's MS has um, uh, progressed, and uh, both uh, members of this uh, partnership uh, need to be actively involved, the need for open communication. Roz, I'm thinking about individual and possible couples uh, 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 counseling to just make sure that with the myriad of um, uh, decisions that are kind of swirling about and needing for uh, people to uh, both be on the same page, perhaps managing time off to provide care, we have kind of a complicated situation that uh, uh, really requires someone to arm themselves with as much information and advocacy uh, about their health status, um, their benefit status, financial status, and long-term career prospects.
2: I couldn't agree with couldn't agree with you more. They have a lot going on, and one of the things that that really jumps out at me is that. Um, Louise is trying to manage some very challenging changes related to her work and planning for her future, um, as you've pointed out, at the same time that Maggie and Louise are probably um, beginning to deal with major shifts in their relationship um, where there's more hands-on assistance and caregiving uh, required And they may be looking at a time when Louise is not able to work or bring in as much income and they have to be able to talk as a couple about how how they're going to manage this. So it's very stressful. And I agree with you that counseling at this point is, is extremely important because our goal for Louise and Maggie is to help them keep a partnership that is as comfortable And uh, nurturing for both of them, satisfying for both of them, and balanced as it has been in the past. And when there's a shift in care um, with one person needing more assistance from another, they really have to do some adjusting and thinking about how to keep their partnership um, balanced so that each person feels as though she is giving and receiving in the relationship. Also, related to cognitive care, this sort of goes back to what I started talking about at the beginning in terms of getting a baseline um, assessment of cognition and then tracking it over time. If one is going to apply for disability with cognition being a major factor in that application for disability, it's very important uh, with cognition, as with any other symptom, that you're tracking progression over time. So that in the medical record, when the doctor supports the application for disability, the doctor is able to point to a progression in the cognitive symptoms or any other symptom. And so having periodic assessments um, every year or two will then make it possible for Louise, if she needs to apply for disability on the basis of cognition, uh, to demonstrate why she needs it, how much progression has happened and what the pace of the progression has been over time. So then they can uh, work together um, as a couple and with the employer to um, plan for these kinds of changes. And I just wanna mention one very helpful resource. If you go to the National MS Society's website and look at um, SSD, Uh, workbook Um, you can find um, a a workbook that uh, a person and the neurologist can use together um, when planning for a disability application so it's a it's a challenging process so we really want you to know about this SSDI uh, workbook Um, and I think with all that's been said that Louise and Maggie will be able to navigate these very difficult changes.
1: It strikes me, Roz, that, you know, MS just changes at this, at this level of intrusiveness, it changes everything, right? And so the career, the, the, the relationship and uh, no part of your life is immune to the effects of MS. And uh, you have to, the self care has to apply all across the board. And that's what makes it overwhelming in some ways, you know? Yes, um, I agree. And, and thinking about your your, your mention of the, the applying for disability, I often uh, think in working with, with folks with MS that in order for people to get by psychologically, vocationally, uh, while dealing with MS, sometimes they have to marshal what I r- refer to euphemistically as a, a functional denial. You've got to be like... I'm Okay, this is happening, but in but even in spite of that, I'm gonna persevere. I'm going to so the strength and courage that people have to um, uh, You know draw upon in order to get through their their daily lives can sometimes Cause them to kind of minimize the effects of the illness. You know, it's not that I'm tired But not that bad, you know, or yeah, I'm having some trouble with cognition, but it's it, I'll be okay I'm okay. I'm fine, right, but then when you go to apply for disability you have to give the fullest accounting of your limitations, or you're not going to be found eligible for disability benefits. So there's this dissonance that goes on where the way you get through your whole life is to be like, look, I'm getting through this no matter what, you know. But in order to get benefits, you have to kind of lay it out. And I find people with MS are often reticent to acknowledge the full scope of those limitations. So knowing yourself and acknowledging the impact and the charting and progression over time, I find that's something that people with MS often, um, you know, don't want to do because it it limits their ability to sort of persevere in a way, you know, I, mm-hmm. if, if I really thought about how intrusive this was, I'd throw in the towel, you know, and so in order to get by, I've got to do that. So there's, that, that dissonance, I think, is in converting over to the, you know, where you got to, pretend like it's not bothering you that much in order to go to work every day. But as soon as you decide to stop working, it's a totally different psychology. And Roz, you'd have a more sophisticated explanation for that than I do psychologically speaking. But you know what I mean? Like there's that thing that happens uh, where you've got a shift from a focus on what you do in spite of your symptoms to giving the fullest accounting of those symptoms. And it's a hard shift to make sometimes.
2: Well, I agree with you, and that's why this workbook can be so helpful because this really is a team enterprise. So it's the doctor's responsibility um, to track symptoms and progression um, in the medical record with accurate input from the patient. But when that, when you know that that's being tracked by the doctor, I think it frees you up a little bit to go on about your life and do what you need to do to keep functioning at home and at work. Uh, So, so I'm hoping that. People can take your advice and do both, track what's going on with them carefully with their healthcare providers, um, but then focus on uh, accommodations, support networks, good communication to keep doing the things in daily life that are so important to them.
0: Great point. Yeah, and great information from, from both of you guys today, but unfortunately that's all the time we have. So. We really hope this podcast provided our audience with some new strategies and tips on handling relapse-related challenges in your work life. So thank you so much to Roz and Phil for taking the time to share your knowledge and experience with our audience today.
1: Rachel, thank you for having me and for this opportunity. And Roz, always a pleasure working with you.
2: I agree. Thanks, Rachel. And I look forward to other opportunities to work with Phil in the future. I always learn a lot every time I hear you speak.
0: This podcast is part of the Relapse and MS series, a collaborative initiative led by Can Do MS and Malincrod to better understand how MS relapses can impact your home work and relationships please remember to listen to all three podcasts in the relapse and ms series which are available on our website and apple podcasts we also encourage you to view our relapse and ms webinar which is available on our website can do ms.org relapse thank you for joining us